put on your Sunday clothes. There's lots of world out there. Get out the brilliant team and dimes. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 133, Wall E. All right, all right, we'll recycle already. We get it. This episode was brought to you by the patrons. That's right. To find out more about how you can get your favorite movie nominated, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Hello and welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, here with my amazing co-host, Mason Smith. Say hello. Hello, hello. Happy to be aboard. And we are Chelsea-less today. She is traveling. What else is new? She just, uh, basically, we should just rename her World Traveler because that's what she does. So she, unfortunately, will be out. But this episode, we are reviewing a Pixar film. It is one of our patron picks. And this time, we'll be reviewing the film WALL-E. WALL-E. That's the best I can do, folks. Better than me. Um, so for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts Podcast is a podcast for animation addicts like yourself, people who are obsessed with animation. They love animated films, whether you're young or old, come one, come all. We talk about a film mm. past or present. And this time, since there are no new animated films coming out this week, we are going to be reviewing WALL-E. Uh, coming up, we will be reviewing Trolls. We will be reviewing Moana. So get ready for those. But we are going back in time, eight years, and we will be talking about a very interesting Pixar film. Uh, kind of, I think it's divided. People either love it, hate it, uh, or in, in between. So I, I haven't met much people who hate it, but I've met a lot of people who have Thoughts about the second half of the film versus the first half. Yeah. Well, you will all be happy to know that the long, long running um, thing of me having never seen Wall-E has ended. I did, in fact, see it this week. And I don't even know why I've never seen it. I think because um, I had gone out of the country in 2008, maybe, Mm -hmm. or something like that. I was just unavailable. So I never saw the theatrical release. And um, and so I, I never got around to to really watching it because I knew that it was um, you know such an iconic and such a you know a Pixar film that a lot of people feel really strongly about. So I didn't want to just be like eh, okay, I'll watch it while I'm working. I wanted to like sit down and watch it. So uh, I was able to do that this week, and you're gonna find out what I thought about it. All right, so we can jump right into it. First off, want to give a shout out to Robert. This was his patron pick. So one of the perks of being a patron of the Rotoscopers or the Animation Addicts podcast is that you get to pick, help contribute to what movies we review. So it's either new releases or picks of the patrons. And so thanks, Robert, for being a patron. I'm excited to talk about this movie as well. This is one that actually a lot of people and a lot of patrons had picked as their um, option. And and people are always asking us, you know, do Wally, do Wally, do Wally. So we finally are here to talk about it. So let's jump right in, shall we? Let's go. Seven hundred years into the future, mankind will leave our planet, leaving Earth's cleanup in the hands of one incredible machine. 
His name is Wally. After all these years, he's developed one little glitch. Wow. A personality. He's extremely curious. <laughs> and just a little bit lonely. But all that is about to change. This film was released on June 27th, 2008. So this was right as I was graduating college. And I specifically remember, like, kind of my first thoughts or, or, you know, around when this film was released was I previously, probably a year or two before and throughout the process, you know, anytime I went on Pixar's website and I saw that they had an intern post for, you know, marketing or PR, anything like that, I applied. Yeah. And, you know, I, as a result, I was really, really tied to what Pixar was doing promotionally at the time. And I do specifically remember this, this campaign that they did, um, you know, cause Pixar always has sort of like clever ways to promote their film, but they, I remember that they had a fake by and large website that they had created oh, to make it seem nice. as if this was a real corporation sold real products. It was really intricate. Um, because, you know, if I ever did get an interview, that would have been one of the th- talking points that I would have talked about. Um, however, they never contacted me or called me or any any such things. But nonetheless, uh-huh. I was informed. So, yeah. I have been contacted by Pixar for a rejection letter for an <laughs> application I made to their internship program. Nice. Well, at least you got a rejection <laughs> letter because, you know, I didn't even get that. That's okay. I We're doing <laughs> recruitment right now at... We're doing recruitment right now at Texas A&M, and so um, my feeling of entitlement for uh, having a, a, a 4.0 GPA and doing very well in all my classes, so I think, and having, uh, I, doing, you know, knowing the faculty and having some industry connections, um, that always gets uh, totally destroyed and smashed around this time of year. <laughs> and I have to remind myself that I am, in fact, an animator, and I am in the industry, just not in... Uh, Pixar DreamWorks, like I'd like to be. <laughs> that I'd like to be someday. I, it's not like I'm at a place I don't want to be. I absolutely love my job, and so. Um, but yeah, that's really cool that there was a by and large website, kind of like that crazy cool intricate marketing that they did for Monsters University. Yes. And um, so I, I can only imagine. I, I don't know in what state of mind I was in 2008 when all this was going on. That that this all just kind of blew over my head or something, but I totally missed all of this stuff. And I think that would have been really funny to see this like pseudo giant corporation. That's like eerily too big to fail. That's like taking over everything just from watching this the first time. There's a ton of messages and a ton of themes in it. So let's play a game. Shall we let's play find the theme. And um, if, if we were drink, if we were taken to drink, we would have a drinking game where you took a shot every time you found a, in-your-face message that Pixar brought home from the film. But they're not all in-your-face. Some of them are very subtle, and that's what I think the mixture of subtle and blatant um, commentary and messages are what makes Wall-E so unique. And that's what I... It's a, one thing that I love about Pixar is that um, you can get a lot out of There are layers. Like the, yeah, it's not like the Lorax or Once Upon a Forest where it's like, humans are evil! <laughs> we are, aren't we? No? <laughs> All right, so let's shall we dig into it? I actually just went to the website buyenlarge.com, um, which 
was. Oh, is it still up? The no, it is not. Buy oh, the okay. letter N and then large dot com. It just forwards to movies.disney.com slash Wally. And it looks like it's been doing that since 2008, <laughs> which is when the movie came out. So who knows? <laughs> I think this was something they did pre-promotion to kind of get some attention. But very quickly, only just a few weeks after the movie was released, it seems according to this uh, PixarPlanet.com forum post that uh, they quickly just redirected it to the website for the movie. So... Sorry, guys. Go to archive.org, go in the Wayback Machine, and maybe you can see it there. So, anyways, let's yeah. go into this film because there is a lot to take in, a lot to dissect. Um, I'm just going to go give some high level about – oh, wait. Hold on. Are we not doing – does Mason have a nerdy couch discussion <laughs> he wants to well, do? Well, it's uh, – I, I just thought of something, and, and y'all in the chat um, let me know, but um, Morgan and I uh, used to have this uh, – from basically from the moment we first met, we were we had been in this kind of perpetual competition on who was the bigger <laughs> animation fan, and it goes from uh, knowing quotes um, to basic trivia and stuff like that. And so I I have found if if um, if Morgan might agree to this, and she's a chicken if she doesn't. Fuck 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 fuck. I love. <laughs> rest of development. The whole family who If if you could see my feet, it would be scraping dirt. But anyway, um, would y'all like to see us uh, pitted against each other in a uh, Pixar quiz? I have here a um, Variety's Pixar quiz, quiz, like Variety magazine, and I have Oh My Disney's hardest Disney Pixar quiz ever. So we don't have uh, a moderator. We don't have Chelsea. So we give ourselves one minute to do each quiz, and then we 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 confess our scores to each other at the end and see who see who gets the higher score. Okay. Yeah, I will set my alarm for one minute. So which one am I taking? The Oh My Disney one. Uh, I don't know oh. which ones do you do. Should we do first variety? Let's do variety first. Okay. Or okay, so I'm on. Okay. Okay. I have the variety one loaded right now. 14 it's fourteen questions. questions, okay. And um, is is your first one about Scud? Uh, Dang it! I just gave away the answer. <laughs> is the first one about the the what may or na- may not be the name of Sid's dog that terrorizes yes, Woody and Buzz in the original we'll start Toy Story? On question two now. Yes, it's starting in the same place. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm giving you two minutes, and we're gonna go back with our quizzes. Sounds good. All right. Um, okay, on your mark, get set, go. I did so bad. Uh, okay, okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> Perfect. I'm... Okay, Morgan and I just took the Variety.com quiz of how how well do you really know Pixar it movies. It didn't do very well because I felt stressed because we're on air and we're live. We, we, gave, our, we gave ourselves a two-minute time limit. Um, I'm going to chalk it up to that because I'll just say it. I got a four out of 14. I'm at 28%. I am a mater. Oh, I got a 7 out of 14, scored 50%, and I am a Wally. Oh, wow. How fitting. So mine says, mine says, uh, did you stop watching Pixar when you got older? It's possible you haven't seen a movie from the studio since A Bug's Life. Give the movies a chance and watch them again, or for the first time, in case you haven't heard, Up is really good. (laughs) Like, that, um, that hurts. 
I got almost all of them wrong. Um, I, I got that Scud is the name of Sid's dog. Um, I got the candy corn from Bugs Life. Um, oh, did you get how many different sayings Prospector Stinky Pete was supposed nine, to get? And I got it right. Oh, you got it right. I said I, I said ten, and I got it wrong. That was a total guess. Okay, how many days were they accident free at Monsters Inc. until one seventeen? I don't even know if that was right or not. No, I don't. I don't know if it was. Uh, I I just randomly clicked forty seven, and that was the right one. <laughs> okay, what what Toy Story character is on uh, Doctor P. Sherman's dentistry diploma in Finding Nemo? I thought it was Rex, just because of the teeth. I did too, and I was wrong. Okay, um, let's see. Okay, in Incredible Syndrome's headquarters is on Nomanison Island, which is named for the poem by I. I just picked Robert Frost because I don't. I don't know. Did you get that one right? No, it I didn't. It is John Don. I, I guess Walt Whitman, and I was wrong. I just felt stressed, okay? For the other quiz, the super hard, we'll do it separately on our own time. And okay. uh, then, yes. Yeah. So or, or if anyone <laughs> has another quiz that they would recommend us taking, we will take it before the next episode and inform you. Um, but yes, <laughs> let's... I did so bad. We both did pretty bad. For, not even for a being Pixar whiz. Addicts, um, 50 per, four out of... 14 and 7 out of 14 I think is pretty unacceptable. So everyone, please forgive us. We <laughs> will work on, on that. But I'm stressed, okay? That's what I'm blaming on. Well, even people in the chat are like, man, this this quiz is hardcore. It is. So it's not just that we're not good animation addicts. Maybe this was a plan, not a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so since I was a Wally, let's jump into Wally. Talking a little bit about the film. So obviously this is from Pixar Animation Studios. It is their ninth film overall produced by Pixar. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the making of the film, but this film was actually conceived in 1995 um, during the making of Toy Story. It just took a lot longer to get into production for various reasons. It's directed by Andrew Stanton, who everyone loves Andrew Stanton. He also directed John Carter of Mars. So John Carter, oh, that's right. Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. So there's some other things that he's done. It was uh, the like we talked about. The release release date was ju- excuse me June 27th, 2008. Budget 180 million dollars, and it made 533 million dollars worldwide at the box office. AKA it was a blockbuster. So thank you to Wikipedia for all these fantastic statistics. The internet is great. Yes, all yeah. you need right there. Well- Yep. Fun fact, Wally is actually known in some countries as, all right, all right, we'll recycle already. We promise. <laughs> because that was, that, uh, because the movie literally beats you over the head with that. Trash piles everywhere. And of course, um, like you just said, this came out of the famous lunch, you know, the, you know, the, the lunch date uh-huh. they all took mm-hmm. where they thought up the concepts for, um, a lot of Pixar films. And, um, basically this stems from one of those what if questions, and that is, uh, Andrew Stanton asking, what if mankind had to leave Earth and somebody forgot to turn off the last robot? And um, this film won a ton of awards. It, it, it was um, it was nominated for five Academy Awards at the 81st Academy Awards, but also got uh, 2008 got the Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature Film, uh, 2009 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form. Um, it got uh, the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. And uh, it was also in um, included in the 1001 films you must see before you you die. And so I saw it for the first time this week. So now I'm that much closer to dying in peace, which uh, feels good, I guess. You know what was the big things that stood out to me this time, Morgan? 
watching it? Uh, or you mean the first time? Because you've this never first, watched this it? first time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? This, Tell this me. one first time was the live action. This was the first Pixar film to integrate live action into it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming you saw this when it came out in theaters. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, I, 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 I thought it was really interesting. I actually saw parts of this film when I was working at a fundraising telephone center at BYU, also known as the Dark Times. Um, but they <laughs> played a lot of movies for us, and Wall E was one of them. So I, while I was calling and being like, would you like to donate today? Um, I would peek up at the, the screen and, and see a little bit of Wall E. But I, I tried to focus on my work because... That's what a good employee does. Well, yes. But also because I didn't want to get it ruined because I wanted to watch it with sound because they, they turn off the sound for it. But anyway, long story short, I thought it was interesting with the live action. Like, for me, it's really weird. But Pixar kind of made it work. Mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, that's so typically Pixar. Making it work. Just make it the, work. You know, the, just ma- make it work, people. Um, <laughs> get some... Project Runway What's his name? reference. Tim, Tim Gunn. Gunn. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Gunn. He's, he's my boy, he man. I love that guy. He's amazing. The film, he's the, he's, the, he's the only ray of light in the show because Heidi Klum is evil. Um, she's bad news. When she walks in, you're like... You know, I don't know. I think about Nina. Maybe anyway. Maybe I. We digress for all the people that are like, "What?" We do digress. We're full of tangents, people. I mean, <laughs> you, you got somewhere to be. Like, what are we gonna do? It's not like a I'm a full time student or anything. But yeah, um, it's really weird. But they make it work in the film. It kind of makes this like silly idea that like hundreds of years of space without physically exerting yourself kind of turn sort of turns you into these these cartoony big blobby baby humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which leads me to a possible Pixar theory, if you will. Oh no! Me. Here we go. Okay, where's our oh, Pixar no, no, theory music? <laughs> Twilight Zone. Um, wait, that was a Twilight Zone. I, I don't. Know. Since all human Pixar characters are obviously not live action, obviously. except for in this one, does this mean that all Pixar films actually occur after Wall E, when humans have come back to Earth and made it inhabitable again? So basically what they did was that there wasn't an Earth, but every, everyone went on this space station and they evolved into these blobby people, these Snorlax people, if you will. <laughs> uh, a, f- a few Munchlaxes in the daycare. Um, and then they came back to Earth and they regrew the crops and um, they brought everything back to how it was supposed to be. But because the captain had that supercomputer that told him so much about Earth, he knew what Paris was and he knew what... Um, uh, all the cities were like, and he, and he knew all that stuff, um, and he knew about uh, you know, toys and stuff. And so they created the world that is in Pixar that just happens to have Paris, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, because all those characters are cartoon characters, then that just means that Ratatouille and all that stuff and all the films came after this one, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then why don't they have super futuristic technology? That's the only, that's the only hole. <laughs> In yeah, my theory. Yeah. You need to workshop that a little more. But that's Conclusion. Try. Yeah, the conclusion you can get from this is that Mason is bad at Pixar theories. <laughs> and I'm actually proud of it. I'm I'm I, I'm I'm not really um not really a Pixar theory guy or a Disney theory guy. I, I just like to watch and enjoy them. <laughs> so anyway, as we will discuss and as a lot of our voicemails for this episode will uh, tell you, there are two parts to Wall E, basically. Wall E on Trash Earth. And Wally and um, the gang aboard the Axiom, which is the last salvation for mankind. Um, it is the ship where they evacuated every, everybody. 
I've, I've heard a lot of people say they liked part one more than part two. And uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, in the voicemails, because the people who did our voicemails say it better than I would, I guess. I think this part of the film is really cute. It's got a lot of charm, and I feel like I like both parts equally. So. Yeah, so this movie, you know, the the first, you know, 30 to 45 minutes is zero dialogue, which is very interesting and actually a very bold move for a Pixar film. I think a lot of people, the uneducated, would not that they are uneducated themselves, but uneducated in the world of animation. I, yeah. They would say that, Pixar equals a kids movie, and this is a kids movie. Oof. Why is there no dialogue? Um, yeah. Obviously, mm. we don't refer to this as a kids movie. We don't see it that way. However, nonetheless, uh, I think it still is, it was pretty bold that the for quite a long time, a prolonged period of time, not just oh, no dialogue for five minutes or ten, you know, which is really pushing it. It was yeah. Some sing- films can't go. Can't go five seconds without dialogue. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Angry Birds. Or walking with dinosaurs that didn't need it. But anyways, oh, yeah. and, and it is beautifully done. And I wouldn't have this movie any other way. Um, yeah. Which I yeah. think is, it, you know, it shows the, just the level of sophistication that Pixar has in storytelling and in making films that they're able to take this risk and not really consider, oh, are people going to be bored? doesn't matter. They're not going to be bored because we're telling an amazing story through visuals. and Through visuals, yeah. You know, so I think that's really one of the main things that stands out about this film that people will talk about is no dialogue and then the themes. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, yeah, absolutely. Those are like the two shining stars. So hopefully we can uncover some nuggets that you might have missed over the years. But but seriously, this first part is, is an, a tremendous exercise in creating an acting performance without using dialogue as always pixar does its homework so apparently uh stanton and his crew they watched uh like all of buster keaton all of charlie chaplin if you don't know who they are then shame on you go look them up um they watched all of their silent films during like lunches so they could study up and uh those are great um like if you've uh watched great dictator w- which does have dialogue at the end but it's very significant or uh, modern times um, or Buster Keaton's train robbery or something like that. I think it was called. I'm not very, I'm not too well versed, but I, I am familiar, but it's all about like physical comedy without dialogue because they're silent films. And so in order to say, I'm looking at this or I am sad, they have to act sad or they have to act like they're looking at something and noticing something and kudos for the Pixar artists for doing this. But when you've got this boxy robot character that looks like something out of like short circuit from the eighties, <laughs> did you ever see that film? Um, but he has such readable emotions mm-hmm. for being this kind of clunky robot. And it's so interesting. Like, it, I would say it's a huge achievement. And like you said, this is not a kid's film. This is actually a, a kind of a deep film. And you will be disappointed if you haven't seen it and you're coming in looking for something that is high, you know, high octane comedy. Because like Pixar usually does, it takes its time during the during important parts. Or when it needs mm-hmm. to. And, it, and for anyone who's studied up on Pixar culture and like studio culture or like Ed Catmull's leadership and stuff, it's that story is king. If you want to get, if, if they're going to make a film, they, it's got to go through the brain trust, you know, the brain trust. It's like this hive mind. You know what it I, is against the brain trust. 
<laughs> I love the thing I love about the just the way that they set this up is that here's Wally. He's basically the last trash compactor robot left on Earth. Who, whoops, you know they either forgot to turn off based on you know his original premise or just continued running for some reason uh, through all the rain and not necessarily yes. There's there's lots of things you could dissect it like will this really happen? But he is the last, and he's programmed, and he's doing his job, and he just doesn't know anything better. He has um, gained some sort of sentience and awareness uh, where he's gotten bored. Yes, but he is aware of his surroundings, and you know, so allows him to do things other than just you know job A to B. Um, but I like I like this because it really shows the sense of loneliness that he has in his life. Um, because he really is the only one. And I think by not having that dialogue, you know, interrupting, I mean, it's, it's really showing you that he is alone. There is nothing there. It is a quiet, desolate world. And that's about it. And it, it, it really kind of paints that picture and hits it home, um, by the length of it. So looking at IMDb, there's a little, uh, trivia. It says, uh, the first dialogue between Wally and Eve begins 22 minutes into the movie, you know, but that's very, while it is dialogue, it's still very. There's, you, there's they, little tiny, like, bells and whistle yeah, lines that he says. But the first human dialogue doesn't begin until 39 minutes into the movie. So there are some bells and whistles and noises and whatnot, but yes, it's quite extensive. So I love that because yeah. I feel, I, you really do feel the gravity of this situation and that he is alone. He's the last one. It's boring. It's quiet, except for when he turns on Hello Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, and he's so cute because all he all he wants is that handhold, right? I remember, mm-hmm. I remember being uh, uh, like a, a high schooler and just being like, "Oh, I just want to hold her hand." Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> and so uh, Wally is as basically the romantic maturity of a of a high schooler. <laughs> just kidding. He's actually he's one of those hopeless romantics, and we always cheer for them, right? Because he's he's the dreamer, you know. And so we're also introduced to a world that has been taken over by Costco, basically. Well, was, was it taken over or did people like elect these dudes to, to run the country? Cause basically the whole world is run by, by and large, which I'm assuming is some sort of parody of American capitalism. American, by the way, because we're the only people who are consumers, are uh, super consumerists. You know, I see great, it as sort of great Satan. It's, it's, it's showing, um, how the world's, uh, you know, stores and whatnot just become mergers and acquisitions of each other or big conglomerates. And basically yeah. over time, there's not going to be competition. It will just be a single monopoly where, you know, it, this Very isn't, scary. this isn't necessarily what's happening now, but like it could happen in the future mm. where there's just one giant corporation that just takes over the world in every aspect, right? Cause it's yeah. just been, you know, acquired after acquisition, after acquisition, after acquisition. So that's kind of what I imagine this being like, as if Walmart or, uh, you know, Costco eventually just took over everything and became your only option. And because society had just this consumerism and just this lack of, uh, awareness and concern for the, for the, the world that they just overproduce everything. And it it led to a situation where, the world was so overpopulated by trash. There was literally nowhere else for it to go. You couldn't burn it anymore. You can't, you couldn't, you know, burn it. It just piled up. And so human beings said, peace out. We're getting out of here because the planet's no longer livable. So, I mean, yeah. really far fetched sort of idea, considering if you've ever, you know, gone on a hike or just gone to other parts of the world and you see how vast and expansive the world is, like it's, 
mind boggling that they're, you know, in this world, the world, there's no inch yeah. of space left. Yeah, we may be we may be headed towards this because of the way that we treat our environment and the way we uh, don't dispose of our waste, basically, or the way we have made waste non-disposable. But like, this is a very extreme case, and that's like the point of animation is to take you to these kind of worlds, you know, these extreme imaginative worlds and stuff. But it's scary because how it hits close to home. It's kind of like Zootopia, which was like. Maybe not quite as far as Zootopia, whereas Zootopia was like, this is us. Um, this film is like, um, this is how we could be, or like, this is meant to represent this type of, uh, this type of culture, this type of uh, behavior. But yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. But all is not lost on one of his routine um, scavengings, I guess, because Wally, he collects things, you know, from his work that he thinks is <laughs> interesting. And he finds a plant and the plant sets everything in motion mm -hmm. while Lee speaks for the trees. <laughs> Do you remember Lorax approved products? Yes. yes. Basically, the Lorax is like, you can't have these double stuffed Oreos because I don't approve of them. <laughs> you know what? I, I wonder if people would have um, reacted a little better to that if they were wall E approved. You know, like at, like how at the end, the Pixar lamp, if you watch after the credits, the Pixar lamp loses its light bulb because mm -hmm. it's an incandescent bulb and wall E shows up with a... Um, What's the CFL. one that's really good for you, apparently? Yeah, like CFL. like a fluorescent. Yeah. yeah, CFL. And replaces it, you know, at three times the cost, by the way. But, um, but yeah, and so all that kind of stuff. And um, it's really interesting. So everything changes when he finds a plant, but then his, his world totally turns upside down when he meets Eve. Mm -hmm. And we're introduced to what could quite possibly be the greatest Pixar love story of our time or even animated love story of our time. And they're robots. Like, while I was watching this, I was like, okay, I know what people have said about this film and about the characters. I will not let these robots make me cry. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was to I was totally wrong. Uh, it was like a walk to remember all over again. And, uh, but yeah, um, it, it, it's, it's cute. I mean, how cute is that? Two worlds, one family. I love the contrast between the two because Wall-E is, like, he's not, he's been alone for years. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to talk to another robot. He's a, he's this hopeless romantic who has this dream, and here it, here it is right in front of him. And, it, and but she also every time he makes a sound, she turns around with her blaster and, and shoots at him. <laughs> and she's completely one one minded, you know, directive. Oh, yeah. Directive. <laughs> but they work. At first, she she ignores him, but it's hard to ignore Wally. -E. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I think one of the big points about Wally, -E, and I'm stealing this from someone who who. Um, came in with a, uh, a voicemail, you'll hear him later, is that Wall-E is a type of character that brings out the best in everyone and just flips everyone's world upside down and gets them to look up mm -hmm. and look at what's important for just a second, and that's what changes their lives. So uh, Wall-E is one of these people, or one of these characters, and it's not necessarily something that you do on purpose, it's just how he is. Mm -hmm. It's the character that brings out the best in everyone, and, and they drive the action. Wall-E is, is kind of a hero, but he's not the biggest hero. Eventually, everyone kind of pulls together and is a hero. And so Ernesto Chacon is bringing up Carl and Ellie from Up, and, and I don't ever want to step on that. I don't ever want to ruin that, but... It's pretty darn close. Eve and Wall-E... Uh, are pretty dang cute, ranked so, pretty high up. Do you there. know why Eve is named Eve? Yeah, she is an environmental vegetation e scanner. I don't know. <laughs> so
So Andrew Stanton said he felt that Wally's predicament kind of reminded him of Adam from the Bible, who was the first man on Earth, and uh, how he was very Yeah, that could have gone south real quickly if he didn't find her. He was very lonely, and so Eve was created to help bring him companionship, and so that's why they named her Eve, because that's really kind of what she was providing to Wally as a a companion and a uh, person to, to, you know, really complete him. Oh, wow. So. Wow, a biblical reference in Pixar. That's cool. I guess I don't have to burn my copy of The Good Dinosaur after all. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I told myself I wouldn't let these robots cry. But they did. Uh, make me cry, but they did. And But before all that happens, Eve shuts down when she finds the plant. Mm-hmm. And just when Wall-E finds that, thinks that he's found that major connection and that maybe he can he can get that handhold that he wants... She gets whisked away aboard uh, to the Axiom, the, the basically the Ark that is keeping all of mankind preserved, and they're all on board. I'm assuming there are no more Axiom. Mm, yeah, there was that short Bernie, but I don't think Bernie. Bernie was, was on the Axiom. Other. Yeah, yeah. So the Axiom, folks. This is what happens when you put people on a cruise ship for several hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Atrophy is a real thing. You turn into a giant blob. And it's this is another, you know, commentary oh. on society and how lazy people, you know, get. And eventually what happens to your body, human beings, over hundreds of years or, you know, the time period of this, that eventually, I mean, your body is just not going to do anything for you. And you're just basically like a full-grown baby who just needs to be fed and taken care of and it's very sad it makes you want to go exercise right now freakiest part of the film for me i I was like oh where are my weights gotta pump iron while i'm doing this uh while i'm watching this the freakiest part of the film for me was just that like just the atrophy and the um the the kind of the president ceo dude of bnl who's like now with the microgravity you might years of microgravity might make you experience some bone loss and it shows these very disgusting diagrams. And I was like, oh, like, it's so gross. And they did a great job of driving that point home, you know? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. This came out around uh, on, on kind of the tail end of the uh, obesity crisis here in uh, North America. And uh, now you're not allowed to tell anyone that they're obese. So um, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. At least they only had to rig two human characters, one for the male blobby person, one for the female <laughs> blobby person. I'm just thinking like a rigger here because that's what I do. I rig, John. It's what I do. And um, so we're introduced to some other robots that are that are hopelessly attached to their directives. Of course. A little cl- uh, or Mo, yeah. Mo's, Mo's my bro. All he wants to do is clean, and he gets so like. What happens when your life is cleaning, and the most filthy creature who does not understand your <laughs> directive comes aboard your ship? <laughs> But yeah, um, there's that one. There's all the cleaning robots. Mm-hmm. I love the um, psych ward mm-hmm. or the um, the psych ward for all the defective robots. Then you're also introduced to Auto, A-U-T-O for autopilot or Auto, A-O-T-T-O. Uh, definitely an homage to Hal in, um, I almost said Mystery Science Theater 3000, but it's actually <laughs> 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Very, He's like this creepy version of like a male GLaDOS from... Portal and Hal from 2001. There's a there's a lot of um, space cameos in here. Like Sigourney Weaver is the space computer. You know, she was made famous uh, mm-hmm. in in sci-fi by uh, being uh, uh, Ellen Ripley in Alien. 
It's, the robots are kind of cute, you know? And then there's the kind of that weird police robot. Uh, I need to pull up I forget names. what his name is. But yeah, and then when he when he gets... All, all he does to enforce the law is to just kind of raise his arm up yep. and hiss. It was really cute. You know, so, the robots could have been really mean to the humans. Well, and, and that's... Majority are just following their directive, but some have a directive beyond their own directive. For example, when they realize the plant, which is the, hold on, let me pull up the name. Oh, Otto. He has become sentient as well and doesn't want the humans to leave or go back. So, and that's Well, he all. was given a secret directive mm-hmm. to beware your, your Walmart automated checkout kiosks will someday have directives of their own. <laughs> They'll be like, no, this is your fifth pack of Sour Patch Kids this week. Like, but it's an addiction. See, to me, this is when the film, and I think some people talk about this, but this is when the film, it it, it loses its charm for me. I think the very first Ooh. half of the film is very charming. You know, like we talked about, it's it's unique in the fact that it has little to no dialogue. Um, it's, it just goes at a different pace. And then, then we hit the spaceship and... Uh, you know, with all these directives and then, you know, undercover plans and agents and whatnot. And uh, it just kind of loses, I, it loses its appeal to me towards the end of the film. What did you yeah. feel upon watching it? Did you notice or did you, uh, did you feel that it flowed? It's definitely different. Well, the first part, it was visually, it was so stunning. Like the power of the Renderman engine, am I right? Just the photorealism and the quality of the lighting and just all the cool particle effects and weather effects. And then we're on board this ship that's uh, very much like uh, an overgrown Apple store that uh, took over a cruise ship line <laughs> or something like that. So everything's very sleek. Everything's kind of uh, pretty colorful, actually. And you've got these very cartoony human characters running around. So mm-hmm. stylistically, mm-hmm. I would say that they are it's very different. You're introduced to two separate worlds. Mm-hmm. And so this is your whole new world. Everyone's confined to yeah, a chair. Yeah, I, I love the the parts where the we see the humans and just how completely obnoxious their situation is. Uh, but anytime that we're dealing with the robots, particularly uh, and this like secret mission, I just it's yeah. not my favorite. So robots with secret missions. Mm, it started with R two D two and it just spiraled out of control <laughs> from there. Thanks, Leia. Did you really need to? Um, but yeah. You know, Leia's apparently such a great fighter. Why didn't she just, like, grab a gun and shoot everyone? But anyway, uh, we'll have our Star Wars episode someday. We'll, we'll, we'll make it <laughs> we'll work. We'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Disney does own Star Wars now, so we can do a Disney day. and Yeah. Well, they have Star Wars Rebels. You know? Yes, yes, there you go. And they and they, they did make a feature film for Star Wars, the, Star of the Clone Wars Wars. That's how it's written on the logo. <laughs> um, so maybe someday. Anyway. I also like that at the same time the captain kind of rediscovers what it's what it means to be an Earthling because I I bet all he does every day is check all the systems and then um, make the morning announcements. This is the only thing he gets to do around here because everything yeah. is automated. Even your nannies are robots. A is well, for and, Axiom, and it's just funny because he's really not needed at all. He's really just a figurehead, but. He yeah. isn't running the show. He's really just kind of taking what's being told to him and doing his best. But uh, he's not a it, true captain. But he does come around and does help. Um, and it's a really straight-up robocracy. Yes, he takes. He does take charge uh, and help 
you know, bring order, but for the most part, and you know that, and you, we, we uncover this as we go throughout, you know, you're first introduced to him. You think, Oh, that's the captain. But then you kind of peel back the layers and you realize, Oh, he's actually uh, not quite useless. Yeah. Very useless. And just, just a figurehead. Yeah. Well, he's probably born on the ship and uh, he probably planned on dying on the ship. And um, what's interesting is that opening up um, earth, and learning about it opens up all this other knowledge about Earth and how great it is. Mm-hmm. Like a computer, define hoedown. <laughs> I like how you got from got from Earth to hoedown. It's like on, on Wikipedia, you can just click links and you can end up all over the place. And then he wants to go to Earth. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole conflict where Otto tries to convince them that staying on the ship is the best course of action. Because that's what the CEO or, or leader of, um, of B&L secretly gave him the mission for is that they're like, okay, like probably not ready to go back to earth because earth is crap. It's full of trash and uh, just stay aboard the axiom and stay the course. Mm-hmm. Don't change anything. And that's what Otto intends to do. And he tries to say on the axiom, you will survive to which the captain does his, this, what I think is an iconic line in the film is that I don't want to survive. I want to live. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Isn't that what we all want to do? Not just subsist, not just survive, but actually live. And despite all of our human failure and human weakness and faults, life is such a beautiful thing. It's worth living, even if it means that eventually the humans could end up in the same situation that that got them on board the Axiom. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And I don't think they realize just what they're getting themselves into because... Let's face it. Um, he thinks that pizza does. He thinks that pizza grows on trees, and so they're going to be so disappointed when they find out that pizza <laughs> does not grow on trees. And I am disappointed just As thinking well, about yeah. the prospect. But uh, yeah, I'm disappointed for them. Um, I, yeah, maybe this is just me taking it way too far. But am I the only one who, as I'm sitting here watching this, thinks that takes a lot of money to basically take the entire human race and feed them and bathe them and take care of them. It's basically a socialist society um, doing everything for, but like, but eventually like your money's going to run out. Right. And this isn't, yeah. how are you going to keep this going? I don't know. I just don't think they thought it through. It's interesting. It's a false utopia, mm-hmm. but they are so uh, lured into... Well, what's interesting is that there's actually this kind of element of like uh, societal hypnotism because as soon as um, as soon as soon Mary gets knocked off of her... Or she like <laughs> sloops out of her chair, it's like she's noticing things that she's never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like these people are, are literally just kind of going around a ship, seeing the world through their peripheral vision focused on a tiny screen in front of them. Sound familiar? Mm. And this is in 2008. This is right when the iPhone was barely uh, coming out, yeah. I think. Yeah, it came out in 2007. Yeah, um, right. And so she, like, snaps out of it, and she's like, I didn't know we had a pool. Or, like, oh, look at all this stuff. <laughs> you know? Yep. They don't even know the luxury around them. They, they get served by robots. They don't even have to look where they're reaching to grab their next uh, cupcake in a cup. <laughs> It's so good. It it's, it sounds so good. <laughs> what well, makes I you realize the world that we're living in, where it very much is like that? Everyone's glued to their phones, to their computers, to their tablets. They're walking around. Now we want everything in a cone. <laughs> They're just everyone's disengaged. You know, if you're like waiting at a bus stop or a subway station, it's just everyone. No one wants to engage with each other and interact or really even talk to each other. And if you do, it's like weirdo. Like, leave me alone. Um, yeah. 
just very, you know, it was true then. It's even more true now. So I like that we do see her basically unplug, which is a term that people use nowadays. She basically unplugs um, accidentally and then is able to enjoy and be present, which is a thing that, you know, is very good to do. Just be present in the moment. But yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, look around you Mm -hmm. and... And uh, See what you're missing out on. take in this beautiful world. Yeah. Yeah. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around for once in a while. You might miss it. (laughs) Uh, I will never be able to do that Simba voice ever again. Uh, You have to go back to the Lion King episode. That is the only time I will ever do it. (laughs) So what a great message, right? Unplug... You know, um, get away from the autom yeah, get, get away from the automated lifestyle for, uh, for once and, uh, learn about how the world works. You know, I think John is a great example because he's so fascinated by something as mundane as a hoedown, <laughs> you know, but it, it's like, if, if you try to kind of learn new things, like you're experiencing them for the first time, I think you'll be surprised. I really enjoyed how Eve really loves Wally. Like you can tell she really loves him because he almost gets, he like gets blown up, but then he comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they have their cute little space dance, and it's it's really cute. And then he gets, like, totally effed up, and (laughs) she has to piece him back together, and it's so sad. Why does Pixar do this to us? Finding Nemo, it makes you think that all is well, and then all is horrible, and they make us go on these roller coasters of emotions, but the, spoiler alert, the part where where she thinks that he got reset, Mm -hmm. like what they did to Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story 3. At least he didn't turn into go into Spanish mode. It's all right. I know about Wall-E's Spanish mode. (laughs) Yo soy Wall-E. <laughs> Estoy por tirar la basura. But yeah, um, that would have been Amazing. an excellent turn yes. to the film. <laughs> I would have rated it perfect if it if it would have had that. But um, oh, it's just so sad. And then the power of the robo-kiss just kind of jolts him back to life. Oh, so cute. And anyway... I was very pleased by that. Of course, they get to be together. And uh, what's great is that the, it's not like the robots shut down. They just have new directives now. Mm-hmm. Now the directive is to build Earth. So yeah. it's like, whew, they're good. That, that solves our manual labor problem. Yeah, exactly. We can we can sit back and super, supervise, right? Yeah. Be even absolutely. more lazy. Well, yeah, that's true. But um, I think all of their, maybe their chairs broke. I don't know. It's interesting what, what, what kind of sequel this would be. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine. Uh, I well, I, I think it would se- have to be some sort of drama. I think a sequel would be kind of like what I what I just mentioned, where people realize the robots could do everything for them, and they fall back into that sense of security and laziness, and they're just chilling back, and they think they're supervising the robots, but they're really just turning again into these blobs. They're the ones being supervised. But then again, that's really basically just retelling the movie we just saw, and I'm not sure that's very interesting. It happens sometimes, though. Yeah. We've got six Lots of voicemails, y'all. Yep. And I will be the voicemail MC. Our first one is from Cassidy. Stand by. 
Hey Rotoscopers! I just finished watching Wally for the very first time, and let me just say it's a wonderful movie and definitely lived up to all the hype. Wally really has a very powerful message and reminded me that we should take better care of our Earth. One aspect I really liked was how there was no dialogue, or at least no human language. That isn't something we see in animation a lot. Personally, I feel that part made even Wally more endearing. One plot point that I particularly enjoyed was the character development of the captain. The scenes where he discovered Earth for the first time were so beautifully done. Another thing was the villain. It was really unique. The villain was created by humans, and its reason for being evil weren't due to personal beliefs, but rather because of the way it was programmed. The animation was so gorgeous. Most Some of the items were so convincingly real-looking, like the cooler thingy Wally was carrying around at the beginning. The side plot between the two humans was fun to see. It was both funny and heartwarming to see them finally disconnect themselves and discover their surroundings. I couldn't not mention the little cockroach. I'm glad they didn't forget about him. I was really sad to see Wally leave him behind when he followed Eve. And of course, Pixar had to pull out the old chair jerkers. Poor Wally got so bashed up throughout the film. Thank you for listening to my voice message. Bye. Oh, thanks, Cassidy. She had some really great points um, talking about how the, the message we need to take better care of our Earth, which is something we haven't really talked about. But yes, I mean, what we see in this is that just humans have become so lackadaisical and they just don't care that there was nothing left to sustain life. Their plants couldn't grow anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It starts out simple, you know, do some recycling, you know, don't eat out, like, Make sure you don't waste food and stuff like that and uh, you know, take care of wildlife and habitats and stuff. Eventually, it just comes naturally, I guess. Of course, there's always room for improvement, but I really think that small and simple mm-hmm. things like that can bring to pass great things, right? Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, this one is from a mystery man. Didn't say his name, so here we go. Mystery man. Here we go. Hi, Rotoscopers. I just saw Wally, or I rewatched Wally, and I think it's great. I do think the first half with the stuff on Earth is a bit better than the second half. I think that's a bit more subtle, and I really love, like, the romance set behind, like, a backdrop of, like, a like, kind of post-apocalyptic world. But I still, I still think the second half is, is effective and delivering against the emotion that Andrew Stanton intended. And the whole, I think it's very good Pixar film. <laughs> My favorite part definitely is the romance between Molly and Eva. That was so well done. You really, really feel for, like, you really want them to, like, succeed in the end. I would probably give this about four, four, four stars. So, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Mystery Man. Bye, Mystery Man. So we have one who likes the, um, the first part better than the second part. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is uh, by Daniel L. Daniel L. Uh, whatever time of day it is over where you guys are, I hope you're all having a very good one. Now, my name is Daniel, and I recently became a fan of you guys. I love listening to your podcasts. I love how passionate you guys are about the subject of animation. But enough gushing for now. Um, I'll briefly give my thoughts on WALL-E, the movie you're discussing. Now, I really love this movie on so many levels, and if I was doing a favorite Pixar movies list, I'd probably put this in my top five, alongside like movies like Up 
and Finding Nemo, and the first two Toy Story movies. Now, I know when most people watch this movie, they seem to like one half of the movie more than the other. For some, they prefer the first half, where Wally is on garbage-filled Earth, while for others, they prefer the second half, where he and Eve have to bring the plant to the captain of the ship. Am I wrong for saying that I really like both halves of the movie equally? I think both halves of the movie are great, and I think they work very well together, telling this wonderful story about the little robot. So, But anyway, in short, I agree with every praise this movie gets, and I hope more people get to see it in the near future. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. So Daniel likes both parts equally. And Hello. Yeah. So which they do they do play well and complement each other well, but for me I just prefer the first half. But I think as a whole this movie is just which we'll talk about in our review or our, our rate it, but they it just it's a great film all around, high level. Alright. So we've had Daniel. Now let's try Dan. Hey guys, Daniel here. Uh, I just uh, found out that you were doing an episode on Wally. Couldn't resist but leave a voicemail. Wally is one of my favorite animated films of all time. Probably top five favorite Pixar movies. The only ones that I know for sure I wouldn't put it above are Toy Story, The Incredibles, and Inside Out. I think it's one of the most visually interesting, and it was one of my favorite films of 08. Also, I just had a quick question. Uh, I was wondering if you would ever uh, consider doing podcast episodes on past television shows, uh, animated, of course, ones that you maybe grew up with. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty much all I had. Thank you guys for the uh, awesome content, and I can't wait to check out the episode on Wally. Catch you guys later. You know what I love is how many people really do love this film. Um, you know, for me, I do like this film and I enjoy this film, but when I think about the act of watching this film, I, there's always sort of like a mental block where it's like more of a serious film that you really kind of have to be in the mood for. Um, not just like one you can just pop in and, and immediately come into the action and whatnot, it, it, which it's definitely a more serious, mature film. Um, he does ask the question, would we ever consider reviewing animated series? Um, maybe things from our childhood or whatnot. I know we talked about it like way back when, but we were like, uh, what if we don't all know the series and then we'd have to watch it and we don't have time to do that. And so I don't know. It's, it's a lot easier to do, um, either very short series like over the garden wall. And that was also an exception because it was a patron pick Uh, and it turned out to be a a huge blessing. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) And, um, and, uh, so, yeah, uh, we might consider it, but it has to kind of fit those parameters, you know? Yeah. Because uh, sometimes we're, like, barely watching the movie before we record because that's all the time we have. Because, like, all of us kind of have kind of full-time commitments besides the podcast. And um, so it would have to be something that we would have to plan ahead and yeah, do. Yeah, there would be some some really cool series, you know, from my childhood that I would love to review. But a lot of times these have multiple seasons, uh, especially, a lo- you know, you notice a lot of the films for, or the, the series from like the 80s or 90s, they had like 40 episodes a season. Uh, that's just kind of the <laughs> way that the, the just the, the series were ordered. Now they're pretty standard, like 24 or whatnot. Um, 
I would love to. It's just a very, very big commitment. So it would have to be something that we totally are committed to. And at the same time, like even if it had one season, yeah. 20 episodes, I mean, do we do one season at a time? But even then, it's like we have to talk about 20 episodes oh. all at once. Or Man. do we kind of do just episode by episode, which then that's like taking a, a whole year. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's complicated. So that's why we're sticking to movies. And uh, eventually when we run out of animated movies to do, which at this rate, I don't think that'll happen. But then maybe we'll talk a little bit more about uh, TV shows. But if someone has a recommendation for, let's say, a TV show that was very short and condensed, sort of like over the over the garden wall, that yeah. we could do that. So. Not against it. It's just logistically, it's like, whew. Plus, every episode of Over the Garden Wall was like 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like, in total, it was basically a feature-length film, which made it nice. Basically. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. So, so, so no, we do not plan on reviewing every episode of The Simpsons. There is a podcast for that. They already do that. So, I kind of wish I would have gotten on that, too, but... We we do have uh, episode recaps for a lot of series on the Roto website. Yep. Um, so you can always put in requests for uh, the series that you that you want to have recaps on, uh, but unfortunately, like our commentary will probably be pretty sparse mm-hmm. unless we go off on a tangent. Yeah, so you know, that happens a lot. So you might get lucky. All right. So this next one is from our very own Jeremiah, who is a frequent voicemailer. Always a pleasure. Hello, discovers. This is Jeremiah calling again. This time about Wally. Also known as the best, most in-depth, the most ambitious and inventive Pixar movie until Inside Out came along, but it's still glorious. I think, you know, it's not just an example of what animation can do. This isn't an example of what Hollywood can do. This is an example of what storytelling can do. It can give you new ideas, it can take you places, it can be subtle, it can be in your face, it can be interested and surprise you and touch you and give you characters you'll never forget as long as you live. It's just really, really astonishing and full of the best everything, best animation, best music used so well. It's just fun. I do want to address one criticism in particular about this. About this. Uh, there are some very valid criticisms of this film. One I hear a lot is that the first act is great and the rest of the movie should be just like it. That is not one of the valid criticisms of the movie. Do you hear yourself? Do you want an entire movie about two robots and a cockroach? That is virtually silent in a world of trash. That would have flopped too hard. I'm sorry. That is a terrible idea. And yet a lot of people bring that up. Oh, well, I'm lost on that one. Anyhow, in conclusion, Pixar made a a villain out of a wheel. Pixar is awesome. Good day. Amazing. He has the best voicemails ever. Um, Jeremiah, bring in the sass. He does have a really good point that, you know, like I, even I mentioned, like I prefer the first half of this film, but what makes the first half good is that it's, it's just part of the film. If you had the whole movie like that, I think it would get really old and it, it just wouldn't, wouldn't work so well, you know? So the second half has to come to complement the first, uh, to really tell the story. Um, 
but <laughs> yes. What do you think? Yep. Yep. Um, I, my thoughts exactly. I, I don't think uh, audiences would have been able to handle an hour and a half of, um, of just that. No. Um, and plus what's, what's great is that, um, to make such an out-of-this-world love story, you have to have really high stakes. They needed to drive home that, like, the fate of... Hum- like, this is a love so powerful that humanity hangs in the balance of, you know, of whether it succeeds or not. And so um, that's kind of why I think they brought in the plot line with the axiom and, and all that stuff. So this last one is from uh, Ryan P., which I can only imagine is our very own Ryan Pietro. Pretty and... Um, Prieto. I'm just trying who, to be culturally who's relevant. In the chat, a lot of the voicemailers who called in today are in the chat. So in the chat, it. it's so cool. Oh, they love us. Rotoscopers, you finally made it to my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> Wally. I have a Wally piggy bank, Wally coffee mugs, and generally Wally memorabilia coming out the wazoo. I have watched this movie more than any other animated film. Nay, any other film, period. When I saw Wally was on your upcoming episode list, I was so very, very excited. You know, in June 2008, I went to go see this movie about a little robot with a personality, one that desperately fell in love, and he crossed the galaxy for it, all for a dance and a kiss. Wally has a lot of depth, and I love to talk about its finer points, like how difficult it can be to overcome our programming. There are those that just want to follow their directive to melt away in our floaty chairs, but then there are characters like Wally, which force us to look up and ignore what we've been told and, you know, cross the galaxy again just to make our home a little more livable. I could probably gush for hours about the animation, the score, and all oh, those final credits, but I believe it's enough to say that this movie is my 5 out of 5, my 10 out of 10, my favorite love story, my favorite movie of all time. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks, Ryan. Wow. So he is a Wall-E super fan. Super fan. <laughs> and you know what I love? So he he brings up a point. He says, I have a Wally piggy bank. I have all this Wally merchandise, which is actually really interesting because when I was reading up on Wikipedia and, and different things, this film actually didn't have a ton of merchandise that was released because Cars was released just a few, just a year earlier. It was still in full swing. Um, and I think they didn't really quite want to get rid of the Cars merchandise. And also Speed Racer, if you remember that horrible re- <laughs> make movie um, was seen as the new greatest in greatest thing, even though it was a horrible flop. And so they really kind of wanted to stock the shelves with cars and speed racer. And it was really interesting. Sad. So it was very interesting. He's a, uh, he probably has to search long and hard for that. Um, I do like his point that we, we didn't quite talk about, which was the um, overcoming your programming. I think, uh, I was thinking definitely about that when you were talking about Mary and how she, she just kind of opens her eyes and she realizes, you know, this isn't the way life should be. And, and, and you see that with the captain and you see that with Wally, you even see that with, with Eve is that, you know, you kind of are trained sometimes to see the world one way. Um, but it's so much better when you can really 
think outside the box or just allow yourself to really take it in, you know, to unplug or whatever, and then move forward. So I like that. And I love how passionate he is about Wally. He has seen this more than any, any movie ever for him, which is any animated movie, any regular movie. It is just his number one movie, which I love. I feel should brought him on to help review. Well, that's what I was about to say, Ryan. You have such a great, melodious, clear voice. Like you should do. You should get into broadcasting. <laughs> Join us. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, those are our voicemails. We had a grand total of six voicemails. So wow. thank you so much for yes. phoning in, everyone, and leaving us your thoughts. We love hearing from y'all. And uh, we had a couple of newcomers. Um, Dan had had just started listening and watching. So welcome, welcome, and uh, we're happy to have you aboard. So Mason, let's go back to where this all began. You had never seen this movie. You'd heard yeah. lots of things about this movie, which may or may not have been a good thing. It may have been a little overhyped by people or perhaps underhyped. I'm not quite sure. So you having, you know, seen this eight years after it was released, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I would say it's one of, I think it's safe to say it's one of my top Pixar films. I love the love story in it, and from a technical standpoint, uh, it's really beautiful. Like, even the camera work, like, they used a lot of depth of field, they used kind of a lot of uh, documentary-style photography, and it's pretty dang tight. Is it better than Up? I don't know. I would put it equal with Up. Is it better than Good Dinosaur? Yeah, it's better than Good Dinosaur. Is it better than Fighting Dory? Probably. So, yeah, I would say it's it's probably in my top five. I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 4.5 out of 5 stars. Because I really, really enjoy it. It is a stellar animated film. And I'm actually really interested in watching it again, which is uh, something I don't normally do. So. 4.5. Awesome. I also am going to give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. I really like Wally, but Wally's a movie that I have to really take seriously when I'm watching it. Um, it's not just one that you can just like put, for me at least, I could just put on a million times. Um, be, but I love it because it is so serious and mature and. And, um, you know, like, like we're saying at the beginning, it's, it's sometimes it, the different messages that it has, sometimes they're kind of in your face. Other times they're a little bit more subdued and, and, you know, you have to kind of pick back the layers to really understand. Uh, I love how bold it is at the beginning. It's a beautiful film to, to watch. Uh, I think this is just something that's so unique as far as animation, uh, as far as the storytelling, the way that they, they presented the, the themes and the and the plot. Um, it's just so different than what we typically see. I couldn't see DreamWorks doing this. Um, I couldn't see. Ooh. I couldn't see any other other studio other than Pixar being this bold. I feel like if this was pitched at ambitious, any, if this was pitched at any other studio, it would be loaded with dialogue early on, and it really lose its effectiveness. So I'm gonna give four point five. 4.5. We're both in alignment today. All around. <laughs> All right. Yep. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode, and especially for those who left voicemails, for those who are joining us in the chat, which may be the same people who left voicemails, which is awesome. Our next movie is going to be Finding Nemo. Uh, which is another. We tried Anders- to do that so long ago, <laughs> and that was not planned. I mean, we talked about Finding Dory. Uh, we wanted to do Finding Nemo back in the early days, like within our first ten episodes. I think this was on our radar yeah. to do, and we I just- think 
Never happened. Do we still have the, the doc from it? I'm sure. I can go back into the archive. I bet I still have my old notes. Yeah, we won't even have to watch it. We've already, like, we've already written up our, our script, basically. So yeah. um, be sure to send in voicemails for that. You can go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails with an S or 406-646-6575. Also, our calendar of all the other movies that we're going to be doing. So this will be one of the last uh, old releases that we'll do for a while because, boom, we are going to be hitting the holiday season with Moana. Mo- with first Trolls and then Moana. Trolls first, and then, then Moana. And then we may, depending on timing, um, have another one, in, uh, an older film in between, and then Sing gets released in December. So... Ooh-wee. Lots to come up, so get definitely send those voicemails um, for any of those films. I mean, I guess if you've seen Trolls already, like send your voicemail in. But we will be doing that, and I'm really excited. So Finding Nemo coming up next, which is a great film. Uh, I'm feeling we are going to get lots of voicemails for that. If we got a lot for Wally, get ready for the deluge. <laughs> Um, the, the the deluge of Finding Nemo voicemails. People, send them in. We want to hear from you. All right. So that's all I have for you guys. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm just at Morgan Stradling. You can find Mason. He is no longer on Twitter, but you can find him on his blog, thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. He's also on Instagram at MasonSMTX. And Chelsea, who is not here today, for those who were asking in the chat, she is traveling. So you can find her at Chelsea Robson on most platforms. So, okay, guys, uh, thanks for joining. And until next time, we we are are the Rotoscopers. Trash planet. I come in and I spread trash all over the planet. That I started eating garbage. Just a little Danny DeVito for you. Thank you. I um I really like this automated um text uh text to speech. Oh no. <laughs> Want a tablet? So. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotosipers. <laughs> the Rotosipers. <laughs> Did it not work? Well, let me try it again. Rotoscopers. Almost. We should, we, should just, we should just put that in at the end. It was like, we are the rotoscopers. Rotoscopers. <laughs> have her say that. Have her say, we are the rotoscopers or whatever she says. Okay, hold on. We are. Oh, that's Sharon. Hold on. I got to do Will from afar. Is this on your phone? This, yeah, this is on my tablet. Hold on. Um, what you need is Will from afar. He's my boy. We are the Rita Scoppers. <laughs> they just, they can't get our name right. <laughs> they just can't get our nose right. Okay, hold on. Rotoscopers. Maybe I just didn't type it right. We are the Rotoscopers. <laughs> it's still wrong. Maybe you need to do separate words. You need to do Rotoscope and then Urs. Rotoscoped Urs. <laughs> Close enough. Did that, did that... Close enough. <laughs> Did that work? <laughs> well, anyway. good time. You all have a good night with the Rotoscopers. Scopers.